Good morning. Today is Sunday, the 14th day of May, 2017. They say it's a kangaroo-like creature with the head of a goat, leathery bat wings, horns, small arms with clawed hands, cloved hooves, and a forked tail, and it makes a blood-curdling scream. Today we have the story of the New Jersey Devil on the 126th episode of Sunday Morning Coffee with Jeff. Sunday, it's time for coffee, and I am your host and storyteller, Jeff Kelly. I'm so glad you're with me today. How is everybody? I hope wherever you are, the weather by you is as nice as the weather here in northern Illinois. You know, it's been a while since I did a story of a modern mythical creature that probably isn't real, so I got the urge to do one, and I picked the Jersey Devil. Here's the thing. As I've mentioned before, the stories I like to write and tell are the ones with a beginning, middle, and end. This story didn't really turn out that way. It turns out that there are three separate stories to tell. We have the legend of how it began, what happened in January of 1909, and the story of Daniel Leeds, his son, and Benjamin Franklin. Yep, one of our founding fathers is connected with the legend of the Jersey Devil. Now, before I get started, I'm going to ask you for some help with Coffee with Jeff. As I've talked about before, I keep a Word file with all my ideas for future episodes. If you've ever sent me a suggestion, it would have been on that list. And, well, as these things happened, I accidentally trashed it. In fact, I trashed a whole folder of stuff I didn't want to trash. And, well, before people begin emailing me saying you should get one of those programs to help recover deleted files, I tried a few, and and they were giving me thousands of files that no longer were named correctly, and I decided it wasn't worth the effort. So I'm starting over from scratch. So now I've got to start putting together a new list of ideas. That's where you can help. If you know of a story that would be good for me to research and tell, let me know about it. So send me your ideas at coffeewithjeff at gmail.com. And coffeewithjeff is all one word there. I would really appreciate it so I can start putting together a new list. Now, people in the past have sent me ideas via email, and I have some of those. So I'll be going through all my old emails and getting those again. All right, I want to do something a little different. I'm not going to do my usual UFO or Bigfoot news. I'm going to talk about a TV show that I watch. It's a show called Impossible Engineering. It's on the Science Channel. Have you ever watched it? It's actually a a show that I enjoy, but I've got a question. The show is about the building of a very difficult thing, such as a bridge or skyscraper or something, like the Shanghai Towers featured on one, or the aircraft carrier HMS Queen Elizabeth. You know, very complex projects that, in the end, get completed. So is the name Impossible Engineering accurate? Maybe it could be Improbable Engineering? No, that's not even right, because these are well-planned out things that they know are going to get completed. So in reality, the show's title is just basically false advertising, you know? Anyway, I needed to get that off my chest. 
So it's a very nice warm morning here in the Midwest, and I've got a cup of coffee, and I'm ready to tell you this fascinating tale of a beast that's over 300 years old and that some still to this day think is still flying around the woods in New Jersey. This podcast is part of the Psycon Network. You can support this podcast and others like it by becoming a subscriber at patreon.com forward slash Psycon. That's C-S-I-C-O-N. A link can be found on the Coffee with Jeff website. Just a dollar or two is all it takes to keep these podcasts going. Thank you for your support. From the pine lands of New Jersey, on the east coast of America, comes a tale of one of the most extraordinary creatures ever recorded. More than 2,000 people are reported to have seen it. It's terrorized towns and caused factories and schools to close down. Some claim it's simply a mythical beast, born of local superstitions and folklore. Others say the weight of evidence is just too great to dismiss the existence of an animal or supernatural being that's become known as the Jersey Devil. I awoke around 2 o'clock in the morning, and finding myself unable to sleep, I arose and wet my head with cold water as a cure for insomnia. As I got up, I heard an eerie, almost supernatural sound from the direction of the river. I looked out upon the Delaware and saw flying diagonally across what appeared to be a large crane, but which was emitting a glow like a firefly. Its head resembled that of a ram with curled horns, and its long, thick neck was thrust forward in flight. It had long, thin wings and short legs, the front one shorter than the hind. Again it uttered its mournful and awful call, a combination of a squawk and a whistle, the beginning very high and piercing, the end very low and hoarse. E.W. Minster, the postmaster of Bristol, Pennsylvania, 1909. The beast was a local legend in the Pine Barrens area of New Jersey for almost 250 years, but during the week of 1909, dozens, some say hundreds, of sightings caused it to be a national sensation. It was called a Jabberwocky, Kangaroo Horse, Flying Death, Kingo Wing, Wizzlebug, Flying Horse, Cowbird, Monster, Flying Hood, Prehistoric Lizard, and many more. Today we know it as the Jersey Devil. There were a lot of stories about this creature before 1909, but very few of them have any documentation, like a newspaper article to back them up. One mention, according to the American Folklife Center, was the diary of woodsman Vance Lahner, dated October 1790. He wrote, It was neither beast nor man nor spirit, but a hellish brew of all three. It was beside a pond when I came upon it. I stopped and did not move. Nay, I could not move. It was dashing its tail to and fro in the pond and rubbing its horns against a tree trunk. It was large as a moose with leather wings. It had cloven hooves as big round as an oak's trunk. After it was through with the tree, it yielded an awful scream as if it were a pained man, and then it flew across the pond until I could see it no more. The thing Vince saw was the local legend of the Pine Barrens area of New Jersey for generations, but in 1909, the world would hear about it. It was in January when all hell broke loose for the residents of New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Delaware. 
It began on a snow-covered Saturday night with a cold breeze coming off the Delaware River. Early Sunday morning, January 19th, Zach Cousins of Woodsbury, New Jersey, was the first person to spot the beast. He described what he saw as he was leaving the Woodsbury Hotel. I heard a hissing and something white flew across the street. I saw two spots of phosphorus, the eyes of the beast. There was a white cloud like escaping steam from an engine. It moved as fast as an auto. At around 2 a.m., John McOwens was checking his baby daughter when he heard an odd noise from outside. He described it as sounding like the scratching of a photograph before the music begins and yet also had something of a whistle to it. When he looked out the window, he was astonished to see a large creature standing on the banks of the canal. He said, It looked something like an eagle, and it was hopping along the towpath. Perhaps the most detailed sighting happened on Tuesday. At around 2.30 a.m., Mr. and Mrs. Nelson Evans were at home looking out of their bedroom window, and for ten minutes they saw a creature about three and a half feet high, with a face like a horse, a long neck, back legs like those of a crane, but with horse's hooves in which it walked on, two short front legs with paws that it never seemed to use, and wings about two feet long. They watched it prance about on the roof of their shed. Mr. Evans said, My wife and I were scared, I tell you, but I managed to open the window and say, Shoo! And it turned around, barked at me, and flew away. Over the week, there were many sightings of the beast, the Jersey Devil. It was written that dogs were barking in unusual fashion, and strange tracks in the snow seemed to go up trees and from rooftop to rooftop, or just stopped in the middle of an open field. Children were kept from going to school, and people wouldn't come out of their locked homes. Men went on organized hunts in the woods looking for the creature. Sometimes their dogs refused to go with them. Chickens and other livestock were missing or found dead. Farmers set out hundreds of steel traps to capture the beast, but all were unsuccessful. There were dozens, some say hundreds of sightings. In one case, a whole trolley full of people claims to have seen the monster. A lady called Mrs. Sorbinski claims to have beaten the creature with a broom to free her dog from its grips. The whole story was news nationwide. But many news stories ridiculed the whole situation. One editor dismissed the whole thing as figments of the imagination of complete idiots. The Philadelphia Zoo, as a joke, offered a $10,000 reward for the capture of the animal. And after about eight days, sightings of the beast dropped off, but they didn't totally stop. There continues to be sightings, even to this day, but nothing like the week of 1909. Where did the beast come from, or at least, how did the myth of the beast get started? Like so many of these stories, there are many variations, but the basic tale goes something like this. There was a young girl from Pine Barrens, New Jersey. She was either cursed by a gypsy or by the local townspeople who thought she was a traitor for falling in love with a British soldier. Now, I want to point out that I know the term gypsy isn't politically correct, but I'm telling the story as I read it, so you know. Anyway, the two had 12 children and she became known as Mother Leeds. And in the year 1735, she was pregnant with her 13th child. 
Out of frustration of already having to take care of 12 children, she cried out that this latest one should be the devil. It was a dark and stormy night, of course, when the child was born. Some say the child was born normal and quickly changed. Other versions say it was born a monstrosity. It had hooves, a goat's head, bat wings, and a forked tail. It growled and screamed after its birth and killed the midwife that helped deliver it. Taken to the air, it flew up the chimney and was gone into the woods. There were versions that say the child beast would come back to its mother every night to feed, and others say once it was gone, it never came back. Some versions of the story say that Mother Leeds was actually a witch and his father, Satan himself. Other sources say that the story of the young girl and the British soldier and the Mother Leeds baby are two different stories. However it happened, there was now a creature known as the Leeds Devil or the Devil of Leeds roaming around New Jersey. Some have come to the conclusion that it was a woman named Deborah Leeds. This is because records show that her husband, in his will, named 12 children. And it was written in 1736, so the timing is right, and they lived in the area that is often associated with the devil, so it fits with the story. But there might be a more down-to-earth explanation of this local folklore, one involving the greatest, most beloved men of the American Revolution, Benjamin Franklin. It all began in the 17th century when many English Quakers had established settlements in what is now southern New Jersey. Daniel Leeds was one of these. Before he came to America, his first wife had died in England, and he married again, but his second wife died while giving birth, and the child didn't survive either. His third wife, Deborah Young, gave him eight children before she died. His fourth and last wife, Jane Abbott Smout, actually survived until his death. He was a man who had ecstatic visions as a young man, and was a devout Quaker. That changed when he started to publish his almanac. He began publishing an almanac in 1687, and it didn't make the Quakers happy. It contained astrological symbols and writings, some of which they thought used inappropriate language. The Quakers thought it was a bit too pagan for their likings. They considered it blasphemous, and they did their best to censor or destroy it. This angered Daniel, and he kept on publishing his almanac, and his fascinations turned to Christian occultism, mysticism, cosmology, demonology, and other mysterious things. This upset the Quaker leaders even more, and a battle between the two began. Daniel eventually converted to Anglicanism and began publishing many anti-Quaker works, criticizing the Quaker theology and accusing the Quakers of being anti-monarchists. When Leeds began to support the British royal governor of New Jersey, Lord Cornbury, a man the Quakers saw as a local tyrant representing the larger empire who sought to keep them under control and oppose their religion, they began to accuse Leeds of publicly working with the devil and considered him evil. And then from then on, the Leeds name in the Quaker community would always be looked down upon. When Daniel retired, Titan Leeds, his son, took over his father's business, continuing to publish the almanac, even after his father's death. But in 1732, he found he had a bit of competition. 
a young 26-year-old Benjamin Franklin began publishing Poor Richard's Almanac, and apparently Ben was a bit competitive, and the two men began battling for readership. Also about this time, Titan Leeds began using the Leeds family crest on the front of his almanac. Depicted on the crest was a bat-winged, dragon-like creature that stood on two clawed feet, very similar to popular descriptions of the Jersey Devil. Anyway, as a joke, in 1733, Franklin said in his almanac that he used astrology to predict Titan Leeds' death, which he said would happen in October. Franklin was just having a laugh, but Titan didn't see it that way. He wasn't too happy in reading about his upcoming death, so in Titan's next almanac, he wrote that Ben Franklin was a fool and a liar. Ben responded with a bit of humor, saying that the Titan he knew wouldn't say such awful things, so whoever wrote those words must be from the spirit world. He claimed that Titan had died, just as he predicted, and now he was receiving abuse from Titan from beyond the grave, that it was Titan's ghost calling Ben those awful things. From that day on, Franklin would always refer to Titan as a ghost, even after Titan's real death. It is thought that all these things combined, Daniel Leeds thought of as evil by the community, his son being called a ghost by Ben Franklin, and the creature on the family crest. And coincidentally, the legend begins about the time that Titan Leeds died. Was it one of these situations that started out as a joke, then became a little ghost story that kids would use to scare each other? Then parents would use it to make sure their kids didn't stay out late? Like, get home before dark or the Leeds devil will get you! Did an oral story passed from one generation to another cause the legend to grow year after year? Like a game of telephone in which one child whispers a phrase to another child, and then that child whispers it to another, and by the time 10 or 15 kids have passed it on, what the last child hears is something totally different from what was originally said. Or maybe there's a flying beast roaming around New Jersey. In a newspaper article from 1887, from the area, it is written, The thing, said the colonel, is not a beast nor animal, but it's the Leeds Devil, according to the description. And it was born over in Evansham, Burlington County, a hundred years ago. There's no mistake about it. I never saw the horrible quitter myself, but I can remember well when it was roaming around Evansham Woods 50 years ago and when it was hunted by men and dogs, and shot at by the best marksmen there were in all South Jersey, but could not be killed. There isn't a family in Burlington or any adjoining county that does not know of the Leeds Devil, and it was the bugaboo to frighten children with when I was a boy. But what about the week in 1909? Those stories have not been passed down by word of mouth, but they are documented in newspapers and such. Surely all those people could not have simply misidentified animals. Medical sociologist Robert E. Bartholomew and author Peter Hassel cites the 1909 series of sightings and the subsequent public panic as a classic example of mass hysteria begun by a regional urban legend. Could so many witnesses all be written off as victims of mass hysteria? Now here's the thing about the Jersey Devil, it separates it from some of the other legendary monsters out there. The way it's described, it would almost have to be something supernatural. 
Its body shape with the wings and such just wouldn't work without some magical force helping it. I mean, a Bigfoot and a Loch Ness Monster, which most likely aren't real, could exist in the real world. A large ape creature or a large prehistoric fish? Why not? But this thing, I don't think so. That being said, who am I to say what these people saw or didn't see? There are theories out there, like maybe it's a species of pterodactyl that survived in an underground cavern, or it's actually the very essence of evil and a harbinger of war. Skeptics say it's just a story, a bit of folklore, a boogeyman story created by local bored Pine Barren residents as a form of children's entertainment, and the sightings are nothing more than the misidentification of known animals, like the Sandhill Crane, which stands four feet high. There is a New Jersey group called the Devil Hunters who refer to themselves as the official researchers of the Jersey Devil. They devote their time to collecting reports, visiting historical sites, and going on nocturnal hunts in the Pine Barrens area in order to find proof that the New Jersey Devil does in fact exist. Personally, I think there's better, more productive ways they could spend their time, but hey, best of luck to them, right? One last thing, I found an interview with a man named Bill Sprouse on the Shores News Today website from Egg Harbor Township in New Jersey. Who is Bill Sprouse? He's a descendant from the infamous Leeds family of local lore. He says, When I was about nine years old, my grandmother told me I was related to the Jersey Devil. She was a Leeds from Leeds Point. It was kind of a family joke, she said, being related to the Jersey Devil which used to be called the Leeds Devil. But there was also a bit of pride, I think, in being from the family that lived in South Jersey for 300 years. My grandmother told me that Deborah Leeds was the real Mother Leeds of Jersey Devil legend. She didn't think Deborah gave birth to a monster, of course, but she did think that something must have happened to cause the neighbors to tell odd stories about her. I used to think it was kind of cute and harmless, but now I've met too many people who have been influenced by stories that, which are dressed up by journalism, that think that the Jersey Devil is real. He grew up in Egg Harbor Township, but now lives in New Mexico, and at the time of the interview, Sprouse was 37, and had just written a book titled The Domestic Life of the Jersey Devil or Bebop's Miscellany. And he's out to set the record straight. He says, no, there is no such thing as the Jersey Devil. See your license? Didn't you see that flying lizard? It's a horse! It looks like it was made out of rust! Look what it did to our roof! After all these years, the Jersey Devil. The hockey team? The demon. It's haunted the Pine Barrens for over 200 years. I gotta warn the town! Well, that's one way to beat a ticket. We better call Egon. This town's gonna need our help. Has anybody got a match? Thanks. Now I can light an old gold and listen to the sad sack. There are a lot of stories to tell about the Jersey Devil. I probably could have done a whole episode just on the week of 1909. Things I didn't talk about were Commodore Stephen Decanter, who claims to have shot a cannonball at the beast, hit it, yet the beast was unharmed. Or Joseph Bonaparte, the elder brother of Napoleon, who claimed to have witnessed the Jersey Devil while hunting on his border town estate in 1820. And then there was Norman Jeffries, who claims to have captured the Jersey Devil. He said it was a vampire-like creature from Australia, 
and displayed it in his private museum in Philadelphia inside a poorly lit cage. The beast would often jump towards customers. Well, it turned out that he had purchased a kangaroo from a circus and attached claws and fake bat wings onto it with glue. A boy hidden behind the cage would poke it with a stick to make it jump. Apparently, years later, Jeffries admitted the whole thing was a hoax. In fact, supposedly to support his exhibition, he planted fake stories in the newspaper about sightings of the creature. It has been suggested that some of the stories from 1909 were also planted stories, but who really knows? This is one of the stories that I sort of wish I was in the position to do a real investigation. You know, go out to the East Coast and go through old newspapers and visit sites and such. Maybe I should create a Kickstarter campaign to do that. You think I could get enough funding to become a full-time researcher? Hey, I can dream. Anyway, it's way too nice outside to be sitting inside talking into a microphone, so I'm going to wrap this up and get some yard work done. Have I ever mentioned that we have a Patreon page? I think I have, like every show. But the thing is, we could use more subscribers to keep this network going. Just go over to the SciCon website, that's csicon.fm, and look for the Patreon link at the top. Every dollar you subscribe helps out. And of course, a sincere thank you to everybody who already supports the show. And speaking of SciCon, why not go over to our website and check out a few of our other shows? You'll find an amazing amount of geek culture. In last week's episode of Who's Who, the Doctor Who podcast, Brecky and Petter talk about Snake Dance. It's one of the Peter Davidson's episodes with Tegan and Nyssa. Check out this show and others over at SciCon.fm. You know, you can email me at coffeewithjeff at gmail.com for any reason. You can complain, say hi, or whatever. I always answer every email, so go ahead, do it. You can also follow me on Twitter. My name on Twitter is coffeewithjeff, all one word. And I have a Coffee with Jeff Facebook page that I require you to join. Story ideas are always welcome and needed now more than ever. If you want to support the show but you don't have the coin, and believe me, I understand, then just go over to iTunes and leave a review or a few stars. Those really help. And remember, links to all the sources that I used to write today's story can be found at Psycon's Coffee with Jeff page. I'd like to thank Brecky Tomlinson for having this podcast on the Psycon Network my wife of 32 years for being my wife of 32 years David Metzger for designing the Coffee with Jeff logo Kelly Rickard for writing and performing the Coffee with Jeff theme and to all of you who listen to the show every week thank you so much and of course a special shout out to all those that repost this on Facebook and Twitter you don't know how much that means to me you have a special place in my heart I'll be back in two weeks with something thrilling and exciting Something you'll never forget. Coffee. Bye-bye for now. With Jeff. Coffee. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee. With Jeff. Coffee. Coffee with Jeff. I once knew a man who used to drink his coffee black. He once tried it.
some cream Didn't like it, now he never looks back Coffee with Jeff Coffee, coffee with Jeff Coffee with Jeff Coffee, coffee with Jeff Met a girl from Beantown Jeff was always hanging around She drank tea, but that was okay She was the dawn of Jeff's new day Coffee with Jeff Coffee, coffee with Jeff Coffee with Jeff Coffee more coffee with Jeff Years go by and life's filled with change Sometimes your plans get rearranged He's seen it all and he's weathered it too So Jeff wants to have some coffee with you Coffee with Jeff Coffee more coffee with Jeff Coffee with Jeff Coffee Yeah.